despite what you've heard, size does matter, <laughs> and it affects it affects the way you lead in a given church. Welcome to another edition of The Conversation. I'm your host, Matt Price, and today we've got Britt Scarda, the senior pastor from Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church here in Little Rock. Thanks for being here today, Britt. Good to be with you, Matt. So I'm really excited to have you here. I'm a member of your church, and this is your second stint at Pulaski Heights. Correct. In what, 20, 25 uh, years? Span of almost 30 years. Almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't want to age you too yeah. much or myself. You're a pastor of the Methodist Church. Methodists are known for the circuit writing type thing. Can you right. tell me a little bit about other churches you've been to? Yeah, I, I'm second career. And so I was a, a late bloomer in this uh, process. But uh, when I completed my uh, graduate work at Duke Divinity School, I was appointed. Uh, here at home in Arkansas, where I was born and raised, to uh, South Arkansas, to a two-point charge, which means I was the pastor of two churches. One had uh, 100 members, the other 75 members. And mm-hmm. so on Sunday morning, I would preach at each church, uh, literally run down the road in my car and uh, oh, wow. robes and all and, and catch the next one. Sometimes the train interfered <laughs> a bit and I had to wait and I was late. But that that was the process. And uh, so I had, uh, really, they were very different churches, so I had to put on a, a different hat when I went to each church and sort of reconnect and think about where I was at that moment. Right, yeah. right. How does it work in the Methodist church on assignments? I mean, I think you guys get two-year, is it two-year assignments? or And then there's like a vote. I know it's kind of complicated and also political process on, on where different preachers go. You know, what's been your experience? Like, where all have you been across the state? I know you were at Springdale before yeah. you came back to Pulaski Heights. Where were the other stops in between? Well, it's actually, it's, it's the appointment is one year at a time. Oh, it's and if things year. don't work out, sometimes it's shorter than that. <laughs> uh, but hopefully when one goes to a new appointment, that's a new church, the relationship is good and the match is good and, and it's longer tenured than that. Uh, following my first appointment at the Two Point Charge in South Arkansas, was actually recruited to come to Pulaski Heights as an associate pastor of outreach and mission and worship. And so that's what I did. I came back and I had three great years at Pulaski Heights. I was then moved out to uh, Southwest Little Rock to Otter Creek area to serve a church out there. And I was there for eight years. It was an exciting time, uh, a great ministry. Mm-hmm. And from there, uh, I then went to uh, Northwest Arkansas and served as senior pastor at Springdale First United Methodist for 10 years before uh, getting the call <laughs> and uh, being invited to return to Pulaski Heights, this time not as an associate, but as the senior pastor. And so I've been back. Uh, I'm completing my eighth year as senior oh, pastor yeah. at Pulaski Heights. Yeah. So what was the, what was the congregation size in, in Otter Creek? Do you remember? The membership there uh, rose. I mean, we were at about 400 when I got there. We were about 800 when I left. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And then Springdale, I'm sure, was Springdale like... was about 3,000 members. Wow. A sizable church, yeah. And then Pulaski Heights is... Uh, 4,500 members. 4,500 members. Give or take a few. Right, right. You know, those are in three distinctly different types of communities. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, you mentioned it about your two, your two charge. Mm-hmm. appointment. Uh, how do you deal with different church communities, different congregations, and addressing the congregation through sermons, and then also through different types of missions and outreach? How does that sure. calculus work for you? I mean, I think it's an yeah. interesting question. Well, 
despite what you've heard, size does matter, <laughs> and it affects it affects the way you lead in a given church. My first churches were 175 total Sunday morning attendance, 45, 50, 60 in both churches across the board, and so the role was really largely pastoral. You know, I could literally go to the nursing home two or three times a week. I just did not have enough to do. I'm a I'm a bit of a workhorse, and so uh, I. I did a lot of pastoral work, building relationships, being in the community. As I've ascended and gone to other churches, and Pulaski Heights is an example, my job is, uh, is more defined. I'm, I'm the primary preacher. I'm sort of the visionary leader of the flock, cast the vision uh, for the community, speak to issues that come our way via uh, public discourse and other concerns. So, it's it's very different. We have a at Pulaski Heights we have a huge pastoral ministry staff and and leadership, and so I'm not as involved in that. I I miss that, but there's literally not time right. to get all the things I do and and to then have time to do that. So when you're talking about the when you view the congregation and then the ministry, mm-hmm. and you're looking at it outside of just the four thousand or so members. Sure, you're looking oh, at a, yeah. a little bit broader. Well, one of the things our denomination has gone to in recent years, they've talked, they've used the language more of being appointed to a mission field. So I'm I'm not appointed only to Pulaski Heights United Methodist. I'm appointed to Hillcrest and the Heights and the bigger city of Little Rock and beyond. So uh, I never think of my church merely as those people that are on the the, the official role. Right. So right, and then there's yeah. a television audience as well. And there's so the TV audience, and that yeah. we draw. A, a very broad base there, and I hear from a diverse group of people every week. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. With that type of audience and that kind, that type of, to put it in kind of more pragmatic terms, that, that type of reach that you have, you've perfected a craft of telling a story and talking about a compelling idea, and you mentioned vision and that sort of thing. I'm really curious, because I do, I, I really enjoy your sermons. Thank you. Pretty much every Appreciate week. It. I love having you there. <laughs> Glad my kids are in daycare <laughs> and not screaming. Yeah, right. Can you talk to me a little bit about the process that you've created for yourself in, you know, coming up with the the message, the delivery of the message, and then, you know, any sort of tools you use to make it better? Wow. That's a big question, question. and and it's also an excellent question, and I've always had a passion for preaching, and I've always been judged as an effective preacher, Mm -hmm. but I have continued to to change and develop and refine along the way, simply because I'm changing, and I've been in different churches, and they're different, and so so every setting calls for something uh, different and unique. I am uh, no longer a manuscript preacher, meaning I don't read my sermons. Right. But uh, they might as well be because they're pretty well defined. It's a storyboard mm-hmm. I create every week, and I really look at where where our congregation is, where our culture is, what's happening, how does the faith, what does the Christian faith in particular have to say to them? Can it speak to them about this issue or that issue? And then... Uh, I do a lot of free association. I, you know, I jog in the morning, and a lot of my sermon writing happens when I'm just let my mind go. So preacher slash beat poet as well. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. That's there's a lot of 
And and truly, uh, from a faith standpoint, to me, it is about inspiration. Mm-hmm. I can sit down on Monday and think, I have nothing to say. I've absolutely, I don't, right. and nothing to say. And as the week goes on, it begins to emerge, and, and I hear that voice, mm-hmm. uh, still small voice, and, and I continue to work on it and refine it uh, until I'm ready for the weekend uh, worship experience. As you're creating, I'm sure you get feedback from people. You know, I'm sure it's primarily positive. But, you know, how do you, or, or do you? I mean, do you view your role as one that takes feedback from congregation members and from um, just members of the community and then create a better product? And I realize I'm talking about this in very pragmatic, utilitarian terms. And there's a lot, there's a lot more to it than that as well when you're a faith leader. But just in the process of that, do you work that sort of feedback back into the messages and then the process of how you give that message? I do listen, uh, sometimes to a fault. And in fact, at times it's created some, some anxiety and grief when you have someone get in your face and tell you, you, <laughs> you know, you're a heretic or you've not preached the gospel or you've not done right by God, then even though I may feel good about what I've done, I still think about it. I mean, all of us struggle a little bit with criticism. Uh, and, and I get mostly positive. You're correct. I do get mostly positive. But I, I do take all of that to heart. And it does, in some internal way, I think, affect what I say and how I say it. I've always been judged as having a, a bit of a prophetic voice, which is not real common, even in seminary. Yeah. My uh, homiletics, my preaching professor said that I was a reluctant prophet. And uh, last Sunday, uh, a gentleman came up to me, not a member of our flock, and said, you got a prophetic voice. And I said, yeah, I think that's been beaten out of most of us today. (laughs) And he said, no, there never were many. And so uh, it's important for me to be honest. And I think I would follow my sword before I would be dishonest and say something I did not believe. And so there's this internal part of me that just compels me sometimes to step out and say things that I know might not be received well, right. uh, will turn people off or, or even drive them away. But usually the same message that drives one person away uh, greets another and welcomes right. them in. So. Right. And again, I, I realize these are process-based questions. It's because I'm very interested in the production of content as mm-hmm. well. Again, this is kind of pragmatic and I'm not, We'll get to some more spiritual stuff here in a minute, but when you're when you're crafting a sermon, um, do you you know this is how I view it? You've got essentially a piece of scripture, you've got a a, a biblical story, or it's a season, a time of the year, so it's Easter or Christmas, and then or something that's going on in society in the news, and then there's a morality tale around. That sometimes that includes a personal story, something mm. that's that's sure. being told in the media. I'm, I'm curious about that part of it too. When you're when you're crafting these sermons, how do you do you decide the best way, or is it one of those things that when you hear it, you just kind of know? Because I mean, you really are a great storyteller. I'm curious how that piece of it works for you. 
Yeah, well, let me say, uh, first of all, that I grew up in a small town uh, being cared for by a lot of women, <laughs> primarily my grandmother and my great-grandmother. And a lot of my time was spent literally sitting on a front porch swing hearing stories, right. family stories. And so if I have any storytelling ability, I'm convinced it came from from right. that element in my family. Different pastors do different things. There's a thing called the lectionary, which is a three-year cycle that has designated right. text. And I've done that in the past, and yep. I finally grew a bit weary of it and wanted to step out. We've moved more towards sermon series. That's what we do at Pulaski Heights. One of my colleagues actually develops the series, asks me if they're okay, and they always are, and assigns a text and a title. So I sit down at the beginning of the week. It's like, oh, you know, climb the wall, uh, Psalm 23 or whatever, you know. Right. And so it's like, oh, what am I? This I can't even make the connection, <laughs> you know, but. But prayerfully and through the week as I do research, I will, I will, Matt, I will go first to biblical resources that, uh, commentaries that help me deal with the text. I will do a Google search mm -hmm. of a word. Right. You know, wall. What, what do I want to know <laughs> about a wall? You know, and so I do those sorts of things and I, I accumulate this sort of, uh, manual every week that I use and I read and I highlight and I scribble and, and in between, I walk around and I come back to it, and it's it's maddening. Right. It's the most rewarding thing I do, but it's the most horrible, frustrating thing I do every week. And by the time the week's over, I am literally exhausted and pretty much sick of it. Yeah, no, I'm sure <laughs> so, until, yeah. until the next week, yeah. right? Until the next yeah. week, <laughs> and it comes quick. So, in in talking about your process. How do you know, now again, kind of separating it from the message somewhat, Sure. how do you know when you nailed it? How do you know when, oh man, that one, that one was good? Because the, I'm a member of the church. We're not, there's not a lot of feedback during the sermon. It's a, the frozen chosen is a, you know. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's a good moniker. Yes, probably. but um, <laughs> recently had a, a, one of my mentors uh, Will Willman, who was former dean of Duke Chapel, he retired United right. Methodist He's bishop, and he made yeah. the comment on how responsive our church is. Actually, from where I am, I see, I see eyes, I see smiles, I see heads, you know, eyes for eyebrows furrowed. I see the whole piece, and so actually, the congregation is really responsive. I can tell the minute I walk out, the response, the whoa, or just sort of an exhale. I, I can feel it. Sometimes um, we, I'm fortunate to be in a church that has great worship, great music, mm -hmm, great right. clergy. So it's sort of easy to be good there. Uh, there have been places right. I have preached where I had to really work at it because yeah. there wasn't a lot of response. So uh, there was no, really, no. And really I, important. and I see myself as supporting cast. Uh, for me, the sermons, it takes up about a third of the service mm -hmm. and I don't really want it to take up any more than that. Sometimes less. I want to get the message out, but everything else shares the message as well. It's something you just feel and know sure. when it happens. And certainly, uh, I'm blessed at Pulaski Hatch United Methodist to have a, a very responsive congregation. I mean, and with the TV audience, I'm, it's not right. unusual to come out with text messages or Facebook messages or emails or oh, wow. phone calls yeah. that say, I just heard the message today. Thank you so much. And so 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was powerful. And I want to know more about what you were talking about. So that, that's interesting because it's, it's very similar to what I hear, you know, I mean, from when talking to musicians, artists, things like that, I yes. mean, it's, it's very much, it's an art form. It is an art form. And that's, it is. That's really, for me, it's a really neat lens to view it through, mm-hmm. you know, because you are kind of a, an artist in a different type of space. I appreciate right? that. It is yeah. an art form. It, it's not fake. Right. It is real. <laughs> so. It's a, yeah. And it's, and you get better with more experience. You do. Just like you do. And that's, and that's interesting to me. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit into more of the message of some of the things you talk about. And a lot of that kind of overlaps with current news, society, who's occupying the White House. Those types of issues. Um, there was an interesting piece uh, that E.J. Dion wrote uh, this week. It was a, an op-ed. I won't get into the details of it. He was uh, talking about the, the sermon that was given at the royal wedding by... Curry, it, Mike Curry. Mike Curry, yeah. right. And the focus on love and how important right. that was in Christianity and then in the New Testament and those sorts of things. And he was talking about a group of different denominations of Christianity that were leading a, a march or a not wasn't like a big march, but you know, a sort of rally in front of the white house yes. to talk about the importance right. of love in Christianity and then in our politics. Sure. And I'm curious how this thread has always existed, but I'm curious how you have viewed that as a Christian, but then also as a leader in the Methodist church and then how, you know, how that impacts your messages and what you feel like your role is in that conversation. Thank you. Um, it's really interesting. I have uh, discovered in the current political and social and religious climate we're living in. Sometimes I have my preaching, my message has not changed in 30 plus years. Right. It, I, I mean, I look at sermons from 30 years ago and I was saying the same thing. People hear them differently now. Right. And they hear them with different ears and eyes. And some are very empathetic or motivated by what I have to say. Others see me as uh, stepping on the toes of a certain element that seems to have taken the church captive and uh, given an impression of Christianity that I just cannot abide by. And so it's interesting to be in that in that kind of situation today. I can't help but bring in to my messages what I see and experience around me. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a citizen. I'm active in the community. I love my country. I love my faith. And right now, I don't like what I see across the board, politically, and in the uh, in the faith realm as well, I'm very concerned, and I and I fear that the church we may be digging out from this for several generations to come. Honestly, some of my Christian colleagues of other ilks, I have heard some of them speak, and I'm thinking I don't even want to be a part of it anymore. It, right. it, it's very hurtful, and so I, I grieve that, and it's sort of a cloud that is hanging over me every day. I can't escape the the thoughts about it. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah. It's interesting to me where I think for a lot of time, you know, maybe this is more a Southern thing, but politics and the church were always separate. And, you know, everyone kind of agreed to somewhat, and maybe I'm being a little 
using rose-colored glasses here, but there was values, and we all shared the same values, but our politics might be different, and that's okay. And it definitely feels like that calculation has now changed, and it's been slowly changing, and then just recently it's, you know, landed with a thud when you see some of the, what a lot of people, and including myself, would call mass hypocrisy of certain churches, certain church leaders. And it's just, uh, it's just really disappointing. And it's, it feels like the message is stolen somewhat. And it feels like ownership of that message is, it feels like a theft, I think, to a lot of people. Like, this is not my Christianity. And, you know, for someone like me, who I, you know, I've, I didn't go to church for a long time. I grew up going to church. I've always had a very moral and ethical value system that was guided by Christianity and the United Methodist Church. But that sort of kind of, you know, again, kind of a theft has actually driven me back to going to church. It surprised me. It was a surprise. I was not expecting, you know, at this point in my life to want to come back to church and this being probably one of the prime drivers you know, and so I'm I'm curious, have you heard that sort of thought from other folks, that sort of, I don't know, maybe a theft of the theology? Yes, and you, you've said it so well. And, and what I'm finding in our faith community are is an, an unusual number of young adults coming back to the church, people who said, I was burned out, I was disillusioned with the church, I never could get to it, I had this, I was anti-church. Right, And they come, and I think they've, I hope they've rediscovered the real Jesus, mm-hmm. not the the politicians that through, who feel that through some particular policy, the, the kingdom is going to come, because right. it's not. But, but something authentic, that at the core of Jesus' teachings, and this sounds sappy, but it really is about loving one another. Right. And it is about not judging and embracing one another. And if we could just learn to love... Everything would be okay. Right. But right now, the uh, hate has ramped up considerably. Mm -hmm. And I find myself having to be very careful because I so vehemently disagree with some of my friends and colleagues. I have to take a deep breath and say, you know, God loves them too. Right. And try to get through it. I have to be an example. Right. Uh, you know, I can be prone to road rage, but I cannot <laughs> practice it. It's it is not a good witness right. for me. Right. So it's sort of that kind of thing. How do yeah. we do that? Yeah. Um, well, and and then it just seems like the lens for how we're viewing politics now has so drastically changed. It's like shared values. At least everyone pretended like we had. Maybe we didn't, but there was this, you know, pretended like we had shared values, like truth, honesty, not being a racist. Those types of things. And now it feels like the shared values are just fractured. No one wants to agree on shared values. And then the lens that is placed on politics, religion, everything is just very individualistic lens. And it's really, it's counter to a lot of the values that I took away from, you know, going to church at a young age and those sorts of things. And it's just, it's very disappointing that it's infiltrated our politics at such a deep level. Yeah, it, it is. And, and I know you can relate to this. I certainly can. We've all 
uh, justified, try to justify our mistakes, our errors, our wrongdoings. We've all been guilty of that. It's part of the human condition. But when I find a group of a faith people, a large group, the what is labeled today as evangelical, right. and I consider myself an evangelical, but not in that sense. Right. Evangelical in terms of carrying the good news of Christ. Right. Just but, focusing on evangelism. Yeah, but yeah, when, yeah. when I see evangelicals justifying what's happening, saying, oh, this is part of some big Old Testament plan, it doesn't get it. It doesn't ring true. It feels false and fake. And it's, and I'm embarrassed because it's part of my family. Right. I mean, our family of faith. Right. And so it hurts me a lot. Yeah. Not that we've ever agreed on everything. <laughs> we never will, and that's right. okay. We, we shouldn't. Right. But the big picture has become so skewed and distorted. It's just, there's no base anymore. Yeah. So we could clearly talk about this for another 30 minutes. But At least. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I don't want to end on a, on a super depressing note. But I did want to ask you about, I want to ask you two questions. One, what has been, and this is probably more of a career type question, but you know, also as, as a minister, what would you consider your biggest failure? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not end in a down. <laughs> well, the next question, the next question okay. is more uplifting. Um, right? <laughs> I think my biggest failure is that I don't know that I've always been a well-rounded person. I'm I'm very intense. I'm either 100% with the church or 100% with my family. I don't know that I've been as well-balanced mm. in my life and in my ministry as I would like to be. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I also think that that's probably a myth that no one's really, no one's truly well-balanced. Well, and that's coming from you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then uh, the second the last question I would ask you is, you know, talking about all the negative things and then just the difficulty of leading a large group of people. What keeps you going? Talking about how the struggle every week with creating a, a an inspiring and engaging sermon and then dealing with, you know, some folks who might yell at you for certain things. Like, it's a lot of things people don't have to deal with. What kind of keeps you going? Great question. I think it's the the mission out there. I probably never would have done well in the post-World War II era with I like Ike and I love Lucy. I, I wouldn't be just one of those pastors who was sedentary and, and just preached. And I, I mean, we have a world that, that's in need of saving. And so there's a lot to do out there. And I feel very passionate about that. And once again, that extends beyond my congregation. And I'm excited about the things that we're doing in terms of of our ministries beyond the walls, and they're growing every day. And so that keeps me up and going. I'm actually more excited about the church. I think the church has more potential today than it ever has in its history, because we moved beyond that 1950s era where it was in vogue to be a Christian. It's not anymore. I, I figure most people who come to the church are really and truly there for the right reason. They're right. looking for something. They want to make a difference. They're not just doing that and then going to the country club for lunch. That's, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the younger generation, I mean, they definitely want uh, more mission, more actual outreach, I guess, works of faith would probably be the right way yeah. to talk about it. Well, Britt, thank you so much for coming today. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Like I said, we could probably talk for another hour. And thanks again for listening to the latest episode of The Conversation. 
And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast uh, listener. Thanks again. podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast